podcast today discusses renewable energy and wind force. To talk about it, we invited Mr. Andreas Schröter. Mr. Schröter is the former executive vice president of DNVGL and is working now as a private consultant. He is skilled in renewable energy and business development. Mr. Schröter, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So we are now just past COP26. We heard promises coming from world leaders. Therefore, we would like to talk to you about renewable energy sources, more specifically, wind energy. So, when we talk about wind power, what challenges are companies that sell or are engaged with wind energy are facing right now? Well, there are a couple of challenges. I mean, on the one hand side, we see a lot of demand towards renewable energy and wind energy, so a lot of growth potential. And at the same time, we also see that some of the players are having financial difficulties. So the, the challenge is basically to, to grow the organization, to develop new turbines, but also to be profitable at the same time. And if you could say, let's say, three goals for wind energy in the next, I don't know, five to 10 years, which goals would you say and which obstacles are you facing that are not necessarily related to the, the cost? Well, There are a couple of developments in wind energy, and one has to distinguish between the place where the, those wind turbines are being um, installed. So we have onshore wind, so basically land-based installations. Then we have offshore wind, that is basically bottom-fixed installation, meaning the wind turbines in the end are fixed to the seabed. And then we have an upcoming market of floating offshore wind. So even though they all have wind turbines, the challenges for all those three are quite different. So one of the big challenges for the for floating wind and also for offshore um, wind is to find the right size of the turbine. So we have seen bigger turbines coming, and of course a bigger turbine brings a more a more energy, a higher energy yield. At the same time, of course, it involves a lot of development costs, new materials, new physics. And so the right balance to find, I would say this is one of the biggest challenge for wind turbine manufacturers. On the onshore wind side, apart from the cost element, of course, we see that in some parts of the world, we see um, a lot of opposition against wind. Again, wind turbines, they have a visual impact that cannot be neglected. And so it has to those developers have to deal with the general public, have to deal with politicians, and in the end, find, find a common way forward. Because if you want to decarbonize, the only way to get to decarbonize societies, and we have seen in the last and in the current COP event, a lot of promises, in my view, some of the countries promised to be carbon neutral too late. Um, so in order to get there, one big element is developing further wind um, turbines and this involves also on-land wind installations not just offshore wind installations and, this, and, the, and, the, and the last element I would say this, this was a, the third challenge is to make sure that the use of energy of renewable energy is keeping at the same pace so meaning the best thing would be for society and also for the um, effectiveness of, of renewable energy and wind in particular is that At the time we develop um, new wind parks, we have also the users basically next door. And there are two, I mean, many use cases, but let's say two big use cases that are currently discussed. One is to use electric cars. So to use electricity or wind turbines directly to power electric cars. And the second one that is hyping right now, I would say, is green hydrogen, because hydrogen is seen as a perfect energy source to be with a high energy density and to be carbon free. And the idea is, of course, 
than to generate this hydrogen from um, electricity coming from wind or solar and not um, from natural gas that is uh, coming right now. So the, the, the challenge is that we keep up the pace on the production of green hydrogen while we, while we construct more wind parks and at the same time that the growth of electric cars goes, goes at the same pace while we, while we build um, more wind turbines. Maybe one last challenge I forgot to mention is the grid because there's a general saying that building grids is much cheaper than um, building batteries, than having batteries. And, but building a new grid is quite difficult and it's of course much, much easier to deploy a battery with a limited certainly um, capacity, but building the, the right grids and interconnecting countries to make sure that we also have wind energy available, let's say in the North Sea, if you speak about Europe and, and then deploy this available electricity to other parts of Europe, where, for, for instance, in the, in the cold winter season, we don't have sun, we don't, we don't have um, any wind, so that locally the, those countries cannot um, produce its own electricity. So the way to transport the energy um, is via grids, and this is something where we are lacking right now, and which is maybe also one of the big challenges. Yeah, my next question was going to be exactly about that. Like, if there's no wind, how cheap is it to transport the energy? Well, it's the price, of course, depends on the on the availability of the grids, and it, of course, also depends on the the market price. The idea is to have in in Northern Europe or in Europe, so-called copper plate, where basically the entire continent is, is connected to each other. But we are far from 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 this state, so it may be cheaper, and it will be cheaper for for the transition period to have, if no renewable resources are available, if no battery, if the batteries are depleted, to use still technologies like gas-fired power plants that can easily be ramped up and also ramped down. Having said this, it's important to mention that the dream of having everything that we produce in electricity or energy and overall, but in particular electricity, just coming from wind uh, or renewables resources like wind, solar and um, hydro, this is just a dream. This is something that will be um, a dream that cannot be um, fulfilled within the next 30 years. We will need um, other sources of energy in this transition period. So if we have a cold winter um, months, let's say end of November, typically here in Northern Europe, where I'm living, then we will need gas-fired, we may need gas-fired power plants if we don't have um, any renewable resources available. On the other hand, it's important to mention that um, there may be no wind on land and there may be no sun in the, in the cold winter months in the um, northern hemisphere. However, uh, usually there is wind offshore. So um, that's the reason why offshore wind will see a renaissance. I'm, one might say um, here in Germany where I'm living, we just had um, general elections and it's expected that we will ramp up our targets um, towards installations of offshore wind because offshore wind can um, serve as a so-called base load because there is always some wind in the sea. And if it's not in the North Sea, then you can use the Baltic Sea. So offshore wind will be a possibility to cover those dark, non-windy months in maybe January, February but we will not be able to do this without gas and other produce forms of um, electricity production. And we have seen, of course, also countries like France saying promoting a renaissance of nuclear. This might be an option for some countries. Um, for other countries, it will not be an option. So if you don't want to have nuclear, and if the wind installations are not there yet, if the grids are not there yet, then we will need other forms. And other criticism that wind energy faces is the wildlife. Are they threatened? You have a wildlife that lives where the installation takes place. Is there a way to avoid the threatening of wildlife? 
Well, it cannot be neglected that there is an impact. This is true. On the other hand, just to give you one anecdotal ex um, example here where I'm living, we had no sea eagles here in the northern part of Germany because of all the pesticides and um, that we used um, in agriculture over the last 30 or 40 years. Now we have like maybe 50 or 60 couples of sea eagles. And yes, maybe sometime a sea eagle or another bird will be impacted by a wind turbine. But wind turbines can be planned in a, in a proper way that certain species are not so much affected. Secondly, I've seen a study, and it's quite public domain, that more birds are killed by cars and actually more birds are killed by cats. So if you want to prohibit wind turbines, you should then also prohibit that people having cats. So yes, there's an impact. But I would say it's a price that we have to pay and it's an impact that we can manage. Okay. And now looking at the future, how can we increase use? Is there a specific strategy that comes to your mind? Is it doable? Can a country rely 100% on wind energy or only in renewable energy sources? Well, I would say 100% it will we will be there in one point of time. But I think the most important thing is not to try to switch and to threaten and let's say society to um, switch off everything that is not renewable right now, but rather to do it as fast as possible and to use as little as needed resources from fossil fuels. Yes, by the end of the century, maybe by in some countries by the mid of the century, we will be entirely free of any electricity production from, from coal and gas, and in many countries also nuclear. But it, it's about the way, how, how fast we get there. So there are projects, for instance, um, DNV publishing energy transition outlook in always in September, that we will have like um, 70 to 80%, depending on the country of electricity produced um, from renewable resources. I think that's a big step. We are, we are far below 50. Some countries are around 20, some countries just around 10% or even less. So the idea is not to be, let's say, from go from zero to one, but rather the, the pathway um, towards renewable and an understanding that we have an exponential growth of renewables and that will gradually just push out other sources out of the market, like, for instance, electric cars that very much go in line with the installations of renewables. Right now, we electric cars are still um, the minority on the roads, but we will see a, a drastic shift over the next 10 to 20 years. Many countries have um, announced and even manufacturers have announced to stop um, uh, manufacturing combustion um, engine cars and just go entirely electric. And this, of course, will propel the demand for further renewables. So my view, it is not about, let's say, going from zero to one, meaning from um, almost no renewables to a lot of renewables, um, to 100% renewables, but to go there as fast as we can. And at the same time, also be realistic and also mindful of cost to use um, sources like gas, if needed, to cover up in times or areas where it's not possible to get the electricity from renewables there. And uh, maybe it's not just about electricity production. We have to look at the entire the um, CO2 and also methane impact that society has. So transport or elect the electricity sector is just one. We have others like transport, we have agri agriculture, we have buildings. 
So if you want to go, want to achieve the targets that are discussed right now in, in, in the current COP summit in Glasgow, we have to look at the entire system, the entire primary energy resources that come from fossil fuels. So it doesn't help to be 100% um, renewable in the electricity sector and, then, and still not being efficient when building or when the agriculture sector. So everything has to be looked at. And of course, renewables can help also in the other sectors like producing green hydrogen. As I mentioned, solar is also a good way, a good form to produce green hydrogen that can then be used in other sectors. So it's, I think it's um, important to mention um, that we have to look at all sectors because in the end, the CO2 or the other gases emitted to the atmosphere, they really don't mind where they come from. So you mentioned Glasgow. Last question. Which governments right now are more likely to invest in this clean uh, source of energy? And do you see a possibility of change after COP? Should we be hopeful? Well, I don't have the exact list of the commitments of all countries at, at hand. I would say it is good that, that big countries, important countries like the United States, committed itself. I've heard that maybe some countries like China and India didn't bring all the, those commitments that they uh, were asked to do. But I'm very positive, and I'll tell you why. The investment into renewables and in, into, let's say, a carbon-free um, future is 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 not just about let's say for survival um, of of mankind. Actually, it's a good business case. Re installing renewables right now, in particular wind, right now, is much cheaper in most cases than even running existing gas or coal-fired power plants. So, for so the eco economic rationale of installing renewables, this is will will improve every basically day every year. So we're having like 10-15% growth in, in wind installations year over year. Hence, the cost will go down. New technologies will come. We will have an entire ecosystem that will develop. And this will then propel further investments and also politicians to understand that is just good business. And if it's good business and helping the, let's say, environment, I think that's, that's, um, That's the best case scenario for, for us um, as a society and for our planet. I'm very confident of the case and we see it. We see it. I mean, countries like that, maybe from a political side against renewables, heavily investing in those, in, in those technologies, in particular wind, because they just see it's a good business case. So just the, apart from the political will and the desire to do something good for our, for the next generations, wind, solar in particular, will just um, convince more and more investors, politicians, because of the economic rationale. So I'm rather optimistic about the next, uh, the next developments, and I think um, we will reach those targets much earlier than maybe promised right now by some politicians in Glasgow. Wow, let's hope you're right. <laughs> Mr. Schutte, thank you so much for your participation. This is Marina Guimarães for Wikistrat. Thank you.